welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. The reality is AI here is not going anywhere. It's getting a lot better. It's going to change the world. It's going to change your classroom. If it doesn't change your classroom, then I don't know what relevance your classroom is going to have to the world. That's the voice of Stefan Bouchard, a debate coach and advocate for debate-centered instruction. As you can tell, he gets a bit wound up when he talks about AI's impact on education, to be expected as he published a book on the topic. In this episode, we get into a passionate discussion of the impacts of AI and how debate-centered instruction can help develop the durable skills students need even more in a world where AI is getting better and better. This is part two of my conversation with Stefan. Fasten your seatbelts. This is going to be fun. There's some different types of debate. And my background is in more policy debate, which is really information actually processing. And that's where a lot of the full-time coaching came, came, came out of because you have a lot of arguments. You really go in depth on a topic. Like they say, even high school kids would like the amount of research like a master's student would do. They'd be reading all these articles, journal articles. You're, you're reading all this stuff, organizing these, these ideas, right? Like, so this took a lot of time. It's very cerebral focused. And even the evaluation of those debates is kind of more on the arguments, a little bit less on the performance. You have other debate events that are focused more on the performance or the speech events. Like they, they have their little bit of niches, right? But I always feel very comfortable in this information space, right? So it's like, yeah, I can take an idea and break it down relatively easily. You know, some of this stuff, the, the concepts are more complicated. Like it took me a while to really understand backpropagation, the development of a neural network. And I was mostly just doing that. So, you know, I could understand it. Or sometimes people ask me about it. I'm not going to be an, I'm not uh, on my yeah. way to becoming an AI well, scientist. Well, brings up an interesting but, point though, Stefan, and this is something yeah. I've seen, you know, almost generationally um, different. I always wanted to know too, how do things work? Don't just right. tell me, oh, you push this button and this happens, right? I want to know what happens when you push the button, right? What's going on behind the scenes? But now, and I taught computer science courses. I wanted to impart on my students, right, that this isn't just, you know, you got to know what menus to go to to configure a system. I want you to understand what all those settings do and why they exist and, and, and stuff. And, and I had students push back too, saying, I don't care. I don't want to know all that stuff. And then when I started my own education startup in Hong Kong, um, we were doing a coding boot camp, and I wanted to add some kind of computer science to the curriculum. Um, these kids were learning to code. Well, kids, I say, they were mostly in their 20s, but they didn't want to know. And the even the other instructors, the faculty, didn't want this stuff introduced because it's so much harder to teach. Right. It's so much easier to just say, no, here's a library and this is the syntax and this is how you right. do this. You know, just follow this formula, cut and paste this code. It works. You don't need to know why it works or how it works. Just know that this works. And I kind of hated that. I, I want to know how stuff works. Yeah, I think in this yeah. instance, I mean, look, I never you know I have an iPhone. Um, I've generally got the, the improvements as they come out. I've never yeah. really cared to know exactly how it works. I'm, I'm on this desktop. I think in this instance, and it's helped me uh, explain other things to people. It is important to understand. And I think because people 
people bring their, and this happens in any instances. I did it too when I first started using it. You bring your prior knowledge and association. So the first time I used ChatGPT, I thought it was a search engine, right? I right, thought, you right. know, that people would call it that, right? I, I spoke with someone who actually had used it a lot in different things. He told me he thought it was using, like, it would just draw on every search engine and put everything in there, right? So, okay. but when you explain to people that, and you don't have to get, I used to get too complicated, right? Even though I wasn't an expert, I learned enough that I could really explain the the, the neural networks and the deep learning and all that kind of, I yeah. found that, well, that, that that's not important. But what it is really important is that it is two things. One, it's predictive text, right? It's it, it's predictive text that follows next word. But two, it's not just randomly, it's not just random predictive text. It was just random predictive text. We wouldn't be talking about this, right? Yep. That it, it it's uh, output is, you know, improved, right? You have all the parameters, you have your fine tuning, you have your reinforcement learning with human feedback, and now even AI feedback, there's a new paper out on it. But that 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 makes the output, you know, then there's these contexts and sentiments, you don't even have to go into that. But I just say that there's another layer on top of that, that makes that output meaningful and relatable. Because then once they understand those two things, right, they can understand one, that the output isn't going to be the same. And this is one thing I've had is, I've had people start doing when I teach them about it, I make them enter the same prompt twice back to back and they'll right. see that the text output is at least slightly different, especially if you have a broader prompt, right? If you're trying to get something a little factual, right? Yeah. So, but anyhow, they see that too. They can understand why you don't want to rely on it for facts, but also given what I've explained about the fine tuning and the reinforcement, it's not terrible at facts, right? It, it does well in some of these tests. It gets a lot of facts, right? Like if you just yeah. can't rely on it. And then third, they understand like why the plagiarism detectors don't really work that well because what they're obviously trying to do is look for patterns within the output. They're not it's yep. they're not pulling something from a database that you can go back verify, right? Like turn it in. You can't see well. Oh yeah, student, you know you took this out of Wikipedia. Here it is. There's nothing. Yep. There's nothing to back verify. So if it does, if it misanal, I don't even think misanalyze is the right term, but obviously there's false negatives and false positives even without students perturbing the text, right? But even if the student perturbs, if the student perturbs the text in, you know, reasonable ways, right? You increase the burstiness or the complexity, you know, the detector is basically, basically gone. And they understand that once they understand how it works in the predictive text. And they're saying, I'm getting two different pieces of output and how it works. You know, you, you can't go back and say, oh, did you write this? Somebody asked me that. Someone said, yeah. someone, someone I knew who was a professor said, oh, we well, you know I caught a kid. I said, well, how did you catch him? You know, I thought, well, I'd say, you know, he he, he said, well, what I did is that I, I, I asked ChatGPT if I wrote the paper and it didn't really like say like, but it, it, there were some uh, pieces of output that I found in ChatGPT that were in his paper. And I just, well, it's just like by random chance, like if a kid wrote a 10,000 word paper, there's probably some yeah. about a particular topic. There's probably some similar words that appeared to one another next to the paper, but I had to explain all that, right? So yeah. I find I find that it's a, a set, I, once people understand that, they can understand a lot of other things, A, what it's useful for and where, you know, what it's more reliable for, I guess I'll say it that way, what it's less reliable for, what it's more useful for, what it's less useful for, and then kind of some of the quandaries of, of, of using the detectors. So ordinarily, I wouldn't say that uh, it's essential, or even, you know, there's a big issue about, you know, representation and output, right? And, you know, I'll say, like, look, if I say, you know, on an image generator, I'll say, give me an image of a CEO. I said, no, it'll almost, I haven't counted, but almost every time it'll give me a white 
male because that's what most of the pictures of CEO. But I said, if you put in there, give me an image of a black female CEO, it will do that. Right. Or when I do classroom, like because sometimes I write articles about debate or classes, I'll say, please, I say, please to get my sentiment analysis. Right. You know, please produce a picture of a classroom full of students. There should be some white students, black students, Asian students, Hispanic students. Right. Yeah. And then it does that. Right. So you can yeah. direct it. But if you just say, give me or two, you know, give me a teacher, it kind of generally gives you this white female, female teacher and, you know, her late 20s. Right. So yeah. the, the generic teacher. But once you understand, I do think in order to use these tools, at least right now, that may change. Right. Maybe, in the, you know, or somebody will just have an interface, you know, teacher, yeah. white, black, right. Those <laughs> kind of things. Right. That, that's easy to do. Right. But which is basically what a lot of these companies are doing. Oh, we made a thing where a teacher can generate a lesson plan. It's like, okay, well, you, you just you just threw a like you just threw a graphical interface on top of it, right? And you had to click yeah. a couple of buttons and you had a lesson plan. But anyhow, I do think in this instance, it's important to understand a little bit how it works because I don't. I think if you don't understand it, I don't. I don't really think you can use it properly. Yeah, AI literacy is is huge, and teachers and students, right? Everybody's gotta gotta understand how it works. So. And when to use it, and you know all. all yeah, and then so, you say, then, you know, then you can get into those secondary questions: when are you using it for? What are you using it for? You yeah. can start thinking about it. You know, obviously, my background's in debate, and of course, all the debate coaches and teachers are all freaked out. Well, the kids are just going to get all their arguments. I said, you know what? I said, I think it's great. I said, I'll let this thing throw out ten arguments. Then I'll talk with the students. What are the better arguments? Why? Yeah. If you only have a two-minute speech. Which arguments do you choose? Sometimes it generates a list of arguments that they're inconsistent with one another, right? So which ones are you going to pick? Why are they inconsistent? Which ones are just kind of reasons that you could state in the debate? Which ones do you need to go research to like back up, right? So there's so much more you can do. That's why I really like the AI, uh, the AI augmented, right? Because yeah. if you just try to compete with the AI, especially over time, it's going to get, yeah, you're shaking your head. No, it's not, yeah, it's not really going to lose, hard, right? Yeah. Like, you're going to lose, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know how to say his last name, but Mustafa Suleiman, who's the, uh, you know, he's a co-founder of, uh, of DeepMind, worked at Google, now has Inflection AI Pi. I was watching a, a podcast at the end of the day. And he said, towards the end, he said, so far at least, I don't know if he said so far, but he was basically saying so far, the human and the AI together can defeat the AI, right? So the AI first defeated the chess champion, yeah. then the Go champion, which sounds like that's like four quadrillion moves or something like that. Yeah. Right? Then diplomacy, which involves all these interactions with people. But he said so far, when you put the human with the AI, it, that generally tends to defeat the defeat the AI. So that's why I think yes, I think it, conceptually at least, right? There's a lot of things that affect whether somebody wins a debate. But a student using AI well to enhance their uh, debating is obviously have both an advantage over a student who's not using AI, right? And I think the AI itself, especially not when the AI is, you know, these, these things yeah. have a lot of limitations, right? Uh, where they'll go, you know, I talked to people who I knew from debate, you know, who, who graduated from debate, they went on to get uh, CS degrees, and, you know, get PhDs, and, you know, they have really high positions, <laughs> Amazon and all these places. And they say, they say, yeah, eventually, it's going to be able to do the whole debate. And they said, you know, if I had if Amazon didn't have me doing something that was more important than trying to to win a college debate, I could basically train it. If if I had a, like ten thousand videos, like we have of everything else, of college debates, yeah. and then I heard, you know, it heard so to speak, right, how it was decided, right? There's music. Like, it's only going to break down in so many ways, which is true. I could train it, right, to debate like that. So it's it's eventually yeah. good. I mean, but look, I eventually, I I think 
I, yeah, I, eventually it's going to be able to do what we can do, right? Yeah. And, and maybe I'm working less on my own AI that I'm yeah. going to train. So I'm going to feed it all of the transcripts from all of my episodes. Yeah. <laughs> right. And all of the papers like yours that I used as, you right. know, my research to prepare for the uh, the the podcast. I'm putting that all into a database for a chat bot so I can later go in, right, is that over time is that starts to really build up a knowledge base there. And I can go to the chat bot and say, oh, give me a good reference from, you know, an AI conversation with either Stefan or, you know, somebody else, right. you know, I need a quote, I, you know, and instead of me trying to remember, dig through, go, you know, scanning. Yeah, I started doing that a little AI bit. I could do it for me. Yeah, just take some, you know, material on a debate topic, right? Have it trained just on that material, right? Because that yeah. reduces the likelihood of hallucinations, right? Yeah. And then add in my material just about debate formats and some different skills. And then kids, wherever they're starting, they can always Q&A that limited, yeah. that, that limited material, just like what you're doing, right? Like, and it works well. And then well, for practice, Stefan, right? I'm going to yeah. practice my debate against the AI Right. Yeah, Before yeah. I go into the debate competition, so you create a, a tool. Well, that's and people, you know, because people are still using it primarily as a search engine, they haven't realized all these things yet. But, you know, I have some prompts, you know, they share with people. It says, imagine, right, that you are a high school debater and you are doing a cross-examination with another high school debater. Ask the debater some questions, right? And then you ask a follow-up question or ask a follow-up question, right? So, the student, you know, people, because they're still seeing it as a search engine, right? You yeah. don't realize it's like interactive and it's just going to get better at that, right? And especially right. once it gets, right, right, multimodal and like immersive and right. It's just going to be like you're there debating, yeah. right? But it can already do that at a pretty basic level as long as you do the prompt properly. Yeah. It's a great way for kids to practice because you can't, you know, some, you know, coaches say, well, am I going to lose my job? It's like right now you're not, you can't hear Maybe you can hear like one practice speech from every kid or a couple practice debate. Here, a kid could sit at home and just just keep practicing their arguments with yeah. the bots. so they don't want to do it anymore, right? And every kid on your team can do that. So, so I, I just talk, think it's incredibly empowering. Yes. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about assessing durable skills through debate. So um, imagine, right, we're in a classroom. Let's say it's middle school. Okay, I've got a middle school classroom. I'm introducing a debate-centered um, instruction element, and I want to come out with an assessment of students' critical thinking skills or their persistence, their their curiosity, their creativity. Right? You know, some of these skills that you know we've all said employers want. Right? LinkedIn says it. Right, World right. Economic Forum's Future of Jobs says it. Right? How do we assess these things? I mean, quantifiably, consistently, fairly, um, how do you do that? Because that's, to me, the real problem with targeting those skills. I mean, there's some of those skills are in the, I don't know if I categorize, but some of them are a little easier to assess than others, right? Like, so you can have a like public speaking skills, right? You can say, here's a rubric for things that I want you to have. You can just think of the basic ones, you know, eye contact, like, yeah. you know, looking at your audience, you know, a reasonable amount of like hand gestures, but not too many, right? And yeah. you give them scores on the rubric. And I think that with, and then, you know, the same thing you could do with your arguments, right? Do you, do you have like at least so many arguments? 
do, do you know, do you have so much evidence to back that up? Is your evidence like from reliable sources? And you can build those in over, over time, right? Like the first time kids debate, you don't worry yeah. about how reliable the sources are, those kind of things, right? So you kind of build that in over time. And of course, with the computer, it's easier to keep track of it because in the old days, you just have one random paper and I wouldn't remember what Eric got on his last paper. So, you know, even if I gave him a different score, I wouldn't know if he got any better or worse. So I think with computer systems, right, like that can help you track that and it can help you track the skills. And I think the second thing that that enables, which it gets harder, right? But there should be more cross-disciplinary learning. Like kids should be, you know, you debating in like science class about whatever it is they need to learn history. When, you know, and this is true in a debate, right? Like when different di judges judge across the tournament, it, it's not the exact same point of reference, right? We all have like slightly different expectations, right? But over time, those things, um, those things can score and, um, that's why when you can do it. And of course, like I said, I, you know, and I brought up the, the knowledge thing, even though, I, you know, I'm a little more on the skill side. I don't think it's so bifurcated. I think kids need both, but it's important to teachers. And, you know, there's still standardized tests and that's the way kids are evaluated. So you'd also see how they did on the test, right? To, right. you know, at the end of the semester or whatever, the, 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 the unit to see how they're doing. Skills like resilience and stuff that you're talking about, like empathy. I mean, those are much harder to develop, but, but I, I evaluate, excuse me, I should say, but I think that, I wish I knew the name of this, but there's there's someone named John Kelly who, uh, Caliglia Gliglio, he started this school in Mexico. It's all like VR based and it's all skill based. And uh, they do, they do uh, you know, they, they they take a theme. There's a name for this too that's escaping me. You say, okay, well, I'm going to learn about this theme like climate change. I'm going to learn about it in history and biology and, and uh, English. And we're going to kind of have this theme that, that crosses. And, you know, he talks about the skills like resilience and, uh, I, I went to one of his things. He was just talking about that. I said, well, how do you, did you, did you measure these things? Right? Like, how did you measure them? And he said, the first year of his school, he didn't, they didn't measure. Them, right. But he said, I don't carry. So they're, they're getting better. Right. So he's, but you know, obviously probably, you know, to, to make it more comp, but now he's working with some company and I wish maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll look it up and I'll, uh, I'll send it to you. Maybe there's a way you can put it in, but there's some company that has some ways that you can at least measure these things, but they're, they're obviously harder to measure. Right. Than just, yeah. Uh, content. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit harder to measure in debate and competitive debate. Kids do it so long. It is kind of like, you know, they get better at it. Right. It's like, you know, if they just debated a few tournaments, sure. They learn a little that much kids debate were one year, two years, three years, four years. You, you can kind of see them. Um, you could see them improving a lot, but it's definitely something that's a little bit harder to measure, but we do have, we do have public speaking classes, right? So that's, that's not impossible to measure. Do we have argumentation classes? You can see how kids, break down an argument you can it, it's not terrible to also give them a test and say okay well we've been working on you know i taught you what an argument is a basic component of an argument you know you've got a couple of worksheets where you have samples to work through to break down an argument you had an actual debate where you had to build an argument and refute an argument right and then like okay here's another example like what are the weaknesses at that point the kids should be able to identify the weaknesses of the argument right so you know you're all you're assessing it in the debate to a degree it's a little more kind of touchy-feely Right. But you can also assess it with a test. Like, I don't think we should get rid of tests. I mean, you know, we should have quizzes and things, maybe fewer high stakes tests that are like, well, gee, the kid knows this or they don't. Uh, you know, tests, quizzes, they force you to kind of learn some stuff and pay attention. Yeah. Right. So I think I think all those things are accessible. I mean, when I, I taught at Boston College for five years, I, I taught argumentation and debate. Right. And we had some debates in class and then the kids had, like, you know, some sample like tests or they'd have to go through and break down an argument. It's obviously, like I say, it's harder to assess than content, but it's it's not impossible. Yeah. So one of the things that also concerns me a little bit is that debate 
generally, right? It's a competition. There's winners and losers. But if you're going to bring this into the classroom, is that the way to do this? Do you want to have winners and losers? Because you're going to have kids who are going to lose every time, right? Now they're completely discouraged because they're not inclined. This is not their skill. This is not how they're wired. They don't do this well. They're not critical thinkers, right? This is unnatural to them. And yes, they can progress uh, given enough time, but they're going to keep losing over and over again because there's other kids in their class who are just better at this. So how do you avoid that stigma of I'm never going to pick you as my partner for the debate because you lose every time, right? And now I'm the kid who sits on the bench and never gets picked. Um, well, I mean, to your to your last point, right? I'll start. I'll start there and kind of build backwards, right? Like, yes, I mean, generally, you know, for the if I if I were teaching regular classes, you know, first couple of debates, I let the kids, you know, pick who they're comfortable. They're probably going to pick their friends, right? Um, even more than whether they're they think they're going to be a good speaker or not. They're going to pick their friends, and then on a competitive team, kids will kids will kind of move to, you know, the better kids will want to debate with each other, right? So you'll see that phenomenon. But you can also intervene as a teacher. You can also mix up the kids, right? Like, you don't want to always say, like, okay, well, you don't want to always make Eric debate with Stefan because, you know, no one wants to debate with Stefan, right? So you always put the strongest student. So, but you can mix that up. It's also, you because it's graded, it's not sure there can be a winner and a loser in a particular debate, right? But because it's graded, I mean, you could lose and kind of still get an A, right? Just as long as you met like all the, the criteria of the rubric, the, the, the teacher shouldn't grade the debate on who won or lost, right? Like that would be inherently like, could just depend on who you debated. Oh, you, oh I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get an F on this assignment because I have to debate Eric, right? right. So the, the, the grading, right? It has to be a process. You can also reward different things, right? You can reward, you know, some kids are actually better at the arguments than they are at the speaking. I was actually kind of in one of those categories is better with the arguments than I was with the speaking. So, you know, even a debate tournament, you get awards for winning, you get awards for speaking. Obviously there's, there's some overlap between the two yeah. of those, right? But it's not, it's not completely the same, right? It's not always a student wins the most debate, like becomes the top speaker. You can give, you can give uh, awards for working together, right? Yeah. You give awards for improvement. You give awards for like facilitating a, a group. Right. So it's a little bit of leadership. So if you even go back to those durable skills, right, what are the durable skills you want to award? Like, and it goes a little, you can think of it as a rubric, you can think of it awards, but I wouldn't make a, I wouldn't, you know, maybe once I wouldn't make debating in the classroom. So competitive, it's going to be inherently competitive. So I'd kind of do everything I can to kind of reduce that. Right. And there's always, there is going to be that time like, yeah, where you probably want to have the four shyest kids in the class, they're probably ought to just debate each other, right? But then there's other times where you got to mix it up and, right, let the shyest kid, right, debate with Eric and, right, maybe they'll come a little bit out of their shell, right? Because there's, like, a little bit of tension. Like, the kids who are the shyest, who are, like, the least capable, they're the ones who, like, need it the most, right? They, they yeah. need it the most because, like, we all recognize these are really essential, durable skills, right? And these kids they need to develop them, right? We need to push them. It's just like anything, right? You're always trying to push somebody to be a little bit better, right? And they say that's one thing, like a learning bot, we can call it a learning bot, a tutor bot, you know, they they bring yep. up different ideas, yeah. but that, that, that's what they're going to be really good at, right? Why is one-on-one -on -one tutoring effective? A one-on-one -on -one tutor, I mean, who knows what he or she is doing and can just push that student a little farther each time, that's how that student grows. If you give them the impossible task, if you're the shyest kid in the room and the teacher's like, 
We have to go front and stand in front of the class and give a five minute speech. It's going to be a disaster. Right. But if the, the student just gives like a short speech in a small group, it gets a little bit better. Right. Maybe it builds up to the end. You know, they'd probably make a movie out of that. Johnny, he would, you know, he right now, now he's speaking in front of the auditorium and he's the president yeah, of the United yeah. States. That, that's yeah. probably not going to happen. Right. Obama probably wasn't the shyest kid in his class. You got to think through, right? Like how you want to achieve the goals, right? And as soon as you think, well, there's a problem. Yes, this could be a little too competitive. Okay, so how am I going to ameliorate that, right? How yeah. is my situation different than like a competitive debate team? Or okay, maybe I want to have my best two students debating together because they're trying to win the debate tournament. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's really important to you. You bring up a great point about you know emphasizing other things because I'll admit, you know, in my experience. You know, honestly, the the guys like me who like to speak and get up there, I'd be, you know, all over it. Oh, let me give this argument. Right? Quite often, they're not the ones who are going to win the debate. Right. They like to hear themselves talk, but they probably right. don't have the best argument. It's the more quiet one. Well, and they have thoughtful. to. You know, yeah. It made me think of it when you said they like to hear themselves talk. You also have to listen. Right. You have to listen and then you have to. They call this, there's a term for this now. I heard it in a Lex Friedman class. It's the, and I, it might exist, a, called steel manning, where you imagine what the best possible version of your opponent's argument is, and yeah. you respond to that, right? Right. Because that'll give you the best possible response. And now, but if you're the person who just wants to hear yourself talk and you're not going to listen, you're not, you're certainly not going to, you're not going to steel man. So yeah, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other skills you need. And, you know, that's why I think it's important to bring it back to what are your objectives? Your yeah. objectives, like I say, yeah, you're kind of stuck a little bit. The kids have to learn this content. And, you know, some teachers are really into it. They became history teachers because they love history. So they want to teach the content. Right. You also want the students to develop these skills. But there's a lot of skills you learn in debate. I mean, people, the debate stands out as like being this competition, and you know, this clash. But there's so many other skills that students learn and develop over the course of debating, yeah. right? And then you think, well, okay, well, I mean, you know, you may even observe in your classroom, well, you know, I thought the students, you know, they really kind of got the research part of this down, but they're not really working well. They didn't work all that well together. <laughs> so maybe the next time I use debate or even just some other instructional method in the classroom, I really need to kind of find a ways to kind of reward like more cooperation. Like you have a lot of control, but if you always keep what your learning objectives are in mind and you're gonna have more than one, then you can draw that out. You can structure you can structure the debates however you want. If I take students to a debate tournament, okay, this is the structure of the debate. There's a tournament. People are trying to win. But in the classroom, I can do anything I want. I'm the teacher. I yeah. have any, no one's telling me. No, no, the principal's not going to come in and say, you, you have to organize the debate this way, right? So it's like organize the debate to reward what you want to reward. All right, let's talk about resources because, um, all right, I'm in, right? I, I agree with you. This would be a great element in many classes, particularly if we start them young and kind of train them. They get comfortable. They get used to this um, all the way through school. Now they're really building durable skills. So, but I'm a teacher out there who also likes this idea. Where do I go to get started? Where do I find the resources, the tools to help me implement DCI in my classroom? You know, there's a couple of things that are online. So there's a, the Chicago Debate League and the Boston Debate League. They really tried to help schools like put this into the classroom. And New York City Urban Debate League started 
a program this year to, to try that in, in a couple different classrooms. So there's some resources online where you can learn how to structure a debate. There's some books about debate in the classroom. I think the second thing is there's also this thing called ChatGPT, which is really, really good. Okay. <laughs> I, I did, uh, you know, and maybe I'll send you the link if you want to include it in the podcast. Yeah. Uh, before I started working on the paper, I just asked it a couple, you know, and, you, you know, obviously, you know, the better your prompts, right, the better you get. But that I am a, you know, so situation, right? I am a teach. I am a teacher in a classroom where my students are not that engaged. That's my problem, right? I want to have a debate. I don't know anything about debate. So first, can you give me some sample formats for debate in the classroom? Second, you know, I don't remember the exact orders of these, but I'm teaching history. I have to teach this uh, unit on the Constitutional Convention, right? And uh, the original learning material, the thing I'm supposed to be following says, the students are supposed to learn how enlightenment thinking impacted the Constitutional Convention. And while I pulled this from the internet because I want yeah. to take an actual lesson and then make it into debate in the classroom. So when I saw this and it had, it had you know, there was an exp explanation how it did it. <laughs> there was a multiple choice quiz. I was like, oh my God, I can imagine here being a kid being like, I don't really care, right? Yeah. But then, you know, if you take in it, you say, okay, well, what are the ideas? What are the different people at the Constitutional Convention? Some of them are influenced differently by some of the different ideas. Who was, right? And why did why did some people, of course, clash with the Constitutional Convention? Because they brought these different ideas in there, set up a debate, right? Yeah, I'm one yeah. of the players, you're one of the players, right? So that that's how that could work in that context. So to take your lesson and contextualize it, and really when I loaded, honestly, when I loaded up the code interpreter in ChatGPT4, it really broke it down because I uploaded that PDF. And oh. once I... Once I got it to where I kind of generally started to say, okay, how am I going to break this down, right? How am I going to break this down? Then I, I, I uploaded what was already there and said, like, please retain the, the learning objectives, right? Because like I said, you know, for whatever we think the teachers have to teach these things, right? Yeah. So please retain the learning objectives. My students are new to debate, so they need to give short speeches. So my format needs to include short speeches. Please explain all this to me because I don't know anything about debate. Okay. And it, it kind of provided that thing. Please provide a sample rubric, right, that I could use to evaluate individual students. And then I said, as in a group, please give me some suggestions for how I could break the, the class down, you know, how I could organize the class. And sure, I mean, some of the ideas are better than others. I know that because I obviously know a lot about debate. But I'm saying a teacher could obviously follow up with any of those. And of course, like anything you're learning, okay, we're well, going to try this. That part didn't go well. It's, it's going to take them a little bit of time to learn. They're not going to become a magician, right? Yeah, like I even yeah. think, okay, well, I mean, I have a lot of experience in debate, but I don't really have much classroom teaching experience. So if I went into a history class and tried to use debate, as much as I know about debate, and even though, you know, okay, I, I could skim the book and learn the history, right? Like it would just jog my memory. So... I'm sure it would go okay the first time, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be like amazing because I haven't used it in the classroom, right? That much. So it's like in, in the traditional classroom. So I would, yeah, I would learn it has to be iterative and I, you know, a teacher needs to embrace that with open mind, but I think, you know, and of course we're seeing different perspectives on this, right? But like the reality is AI here, it's not going anywhere. It's getting a lot better. It's going to change the world. It's going to change your classroom. If it doesn't change your classroom, then I don't know what relevance your classroom is going to have to the world. Yeah. So that's all going to happen. Right. So, just 
it, it's a way to, you know, if, if you don't use debate, you don't have to use debate. You're going to have to learn something else, right? So yep. you could try that. But ChatGPT can really help you because it can help you with that dialogue and that individual follow-up conversation. It's a lot of stuff, like I say, just on the internet at those debate leagues and things. And you can, you know, Google debate in the classroom. Of course, you know, people are welcome to contact me. I'm happy to help them. So, you know, there's a lot there uh, to use that. And, you know, like I say, I have reasonable expectations. I thought, you know, the professor said, well, no. First time they debated, they you know they just read stuff that didn't go that well. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> the first I've always time said they play football it's pretty bad. They drop the ball. You know, it's yeah. Bad. Anytime right? I've introduced something new in a classroom, I've always assumed um, the third by the third time I do this, I, I may have it pretty good, right? Right. The first one is you know I'm just you know this is an experiment. Right. It may go terribly wrong. And I have that expectation that I may not have enough content. I may have too much content. You know, the timing may be off. The student may not get it. They may hate it, you know, whatever. Right. I, but you try. And by the third time, it's starting to get better. Right. It's, uh, it's yeah, pretty And if kids debated more, it would also help the teacher. Like you shouldn't just be yeah. debating once or twice in one class. Right. But you yeah. think of a debater, I always laugh. You know, I remember in uh, ninth grade, our teacher like had a debate. She didn't know anything about the debate, but once a year she set up this thing to have a debate. I'm like, okay, well, I got this. Right? <laughs> okay. I'm gonna get against- <laughs> yeah, I got this. I, I can debate against people who have yeah. never debated before. Like I, yeah. I, I got this, right? So like, you know, any debater, they're excited when once a year now that maybe the teacher has some kind of debate in the classroom. But if kids debated more and they were regularly more engaged in class and this wouldn't be so hard. It's, it's just like any kind of shift it takes it takes, you yeah. know, experimentation, effort. It takes time. It takes iteration. Um, it's all good. There's a chance we can improve. You know, obviously, there's a lot of good things that are going on in education, but at least in the United States, it's it's also the reality that 50% of the kids basically <laughs> don't make the national assessment of educational progress and just basic, like, like math and English skills, right? So yeah. there's things we can do better. You know, we could probably take some chances and let them debate um, and ha- and have some things come out. So I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, to do that. And, it, you know, it's not just time. I mean, it's money, but it, it's not it's not really that like you know, teachers might need some training, but schools have professional development budgets. They buy books like chat GPT, you know, even even three, five, which is free. It does pretty well. You know, it is interesting for, you know, of course, I use the code, the code interpreter, so it helped more. But, you know, four is better, like organizing things and breaking it down than yeah. three is. But you know, three, three will get them pretty far. I don't yep. want to take your whole evening here it's uh it's oh, i could talk about debate um i could talk about debate all night or even i can tell i can too much tell. too much about ai a little bit right yeah. so, so yeah, i sorry. could talk about these two topics forever but this is great because the other yeah. podcasts i've done have mostly been about ai and you know what it means for education and you know what is it those kind of things which you know it's been and really i did listen to a couple case. of podcasts you did I, yeah. yes but it yeah. was great to really just talk about because, you know, it's interesting, you know, obviously when this came out, I, I got, got very involved in uh, AI stuff, right? But once, you know, it was really about a month ago, six weeks ago, I thought I got more excited about debate again. I mean, part of it, I've done this for so long, right? So you yeah. get a little burnt out doing something. But I'm like, debate is one of the answers. Yeah. Right. And that's the title, you know, part of the title of the paper. Because people, and I think it's fine, people are looking at AI, and saying, okay, well, the world's going to become like AI. So what AIs are we going to use? Well, I think it's important to think about that because AIs are relevant in the world of AI. AIs can help teachers in the classroom. 
But there's a lot of things we've been doing in education. And, you know, portfolios is another example, right? That, that transcend whether we have AI or that. Yeah. <laughs> in the 1800s, people went to the town square, right? Before the industrialization, yeah. right? In the early 1800s, before the industrialization, before the information economy, yeah. they went and they debated and they argued and they talked and they thought about things and they learned some content. This has worked, you know, back to the Romans, right? Like it worked then too, right? We've done this, yeah, Cicero, right? I mean, this has been going on for thousands of years. So yes. we should keep doing, we, we don't need to change everything about education because we, we AI, we need to think, well, what, what is, what's the most important things to do that we already know how to do? So will, will classroom debate be a little new for a teacher? Of course, but it's not as new, it's an extra prediction. Right. Yes, so, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and then all the changes that are going to come like in the next five years yeah. that they're going to like try to keep up with, it's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. So, well, and we all realize, know, right. We've all been debating whether we're formally right. debating on a debate team. Right. I mean, this is a life skill. Too many people these days um, just want you to tell them what they want to know. Right? right. So, right. you know, tell me what I want to hear and I'll accept it as fact. Right. Yeah. I don't want to challenge the source. Um, you know, if you're telling me what I want to hear, then it's all good. Right. And uh, it's a real problem because the bots and anybody else out there who wants to be popular, right, will tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. 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 They'll figure out <laughs> yeah, what they want. Yeah. And They'll figure out what they want you to know in a way that you want to hear it. That's what's going to get a little Yes. Bit. Yeah. All right. Well, um, one last question. You're, you're in New York, right? Yeah. New York. Yeah. Are you a Yankees fan? Not really, because I'm originally from Boston. Oh, I spent yes. a lot of time in Boston. Yes, so I am a, a huge Yankees Red fan. Sox fan. All right. I loved it. All right, All right thanks great. a lot. Well, let's stay in touch. Sounds good. Well, raise the roof, drop the mic. I don't know what the current expression is to say how much fun that was. I think if I hadn't cut that conversation off, we could have talked for hours. Stefan Bouchard is a very interesting guy, and I love the concept of debate-centered instruction as becoming a common approach to active learning that kids practice regularly starting from a young age. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share. Up next is Dr. Sean McMinn, the director of the Center for Education Innovation at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, a must-listen-to conversation with tons of practical advice and examples from his experiences within the university setting. I'm Eric Byron. Thanks for listening, and thanks to all those education innovators out there. You are making a difference.